We ask the Lord to teach us. Lord, how desperately, as your people, we need to know you with greater clarity and have a knowledge that is not just intellectual or theoretical, but experiential. A knowledge that would lead us to rest in you. And I pray that this morning that you would take us in all our brokenness, you would take us with all the burden of our lives and grant us rest. Display to us once again, Holy Spirit Jesus, who he is and what he's accomplished, that we might rest in him and delight in him, for he is good. Blessed be your name forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Cola de caballo. Horsetail. Can you give me the, the next slide? Some of you know that uh, we lived in Spain, and one summer uh, the family went up to the northern part of Spain, the Pyrenees, and there was a, a trail, a hike, in this national park called Cola de Caballo, Horse Tail. And, um, and we decided we were going to do that as a family. But here's what you need to know. It was, it was rather cold. It was raining. We didn't have a whole lot of food. But the other thing, and it was uh, 22 kilometers away. So it was about a 14-mile hike. Lizzie was six years old about, you know, Becca was seven, and Josh was ten. And we set out on this hike. Of course, you can imagine our children, they're Christian children, they don't complain at all. And along the way toward the, the falls, you know, you know, trying to find refuge from the rain and things like that. I mean, it was tough. But we made it there. We enjoyed some time there. We made it back. And we're probably two miles away from the very end of the hike when Lizzie, our youngest, six years old, says to her mom, Mommy, my legs hurt. <laughs> my legs hurt. I can't go anymore. And you know, and I said to her, you want me to, you want to ride on my back and I'll, I'll carry you the rest of the way? She says, yeah. She didn't refuse to be placed on my back and I brought her the rest of the way. You know, we've all had experiences we are, where we're just so tired, physically tired, emotionally tired, uh, mentally tired, whatever it might be. And we feel like we just can't take another step. Is there someone who will carry us? There's, you know, we just, we just need to rest. And I think it's because of our, the reality of our experience in life that these words from Jesus resonate with us. When Jesus says, come to me, all who labor, are heavy laden, you're weary, come and I'll give you rest. We go, yes, carry me, please. Because I just don't have it. I don't have what it takes. You know, today as we celebrate our fourth anniversary, I am conscious of this, that we are not celebrating our accomplishments as a church. We are celebrating the accomplishments of Jesus Christ. Who He is and what He has done to give us everlasting rest. This is, this is what we long for in this broken world and with broken lives. We're people who need this rest, not just a momentary rest, but we need something that lasts forever. And this is what we celebrate. You want to know 
What brings us together as las tierras? It is this Christ, this Savior, this Redeemer. So I want you to look with me this morning briefly. As we see who He is and what He's done, we'll look at the invitation that He gives, the promise attached to the invitation, and then an incentive as if we needed something else. But He's so kind. First, the invitation. Now, if you will remember some of the words that, uh, the passage that Isaac read, the, the words prior to this invitation, Jesus had very harsh words toward residents of certain cities because they refused to repent, they refused to believe in Jesus, although Jesus had done many miracles in their midst. So very uncomfortable words, and you need to reread those words. You go, ooh, this is rough. And then he turns to these other people and he says, and then he gives this invitation that's really of great comfort. These are comforting words. He says, come to me. Think about it. He's not saying, go to the synagogue. (laughs) Go to church. Go to some system of ethics. Go to some philosophy. He's not even saying, go to some of my teachings. No, come to me. It's a personal invitation to be united by faith in Jesus Christ. Is to be connected to Jesus. And think about this. To whom is he giving this invitation? It's kind of general, right? He says, all. You see it in the verse 28. All. But then he qualifies it. All who labor and are heavy laden. If you look at those words, they're just words that describe people who are what? Who are weary, who are fatigued, who are tired, who are exhausted, who feel the weight of a load on their lives and just to say, I can't go anymore. Jesus says, to you, if this is how you feel, if you know, if this is a reality of your life, Jesus says, come to me. You know, this doesn't make any difference if life is going great for you. If life is as wonderful for you, you go, you know, I really don't have any problems. I mean, here, a problem there, you know, nothing great. You know, but everything's wonderful in my life, in my family's life, in my cousin's life, in my uncle's life, in the world, in the nation. Everything's great. Why go to Jesus? This invitation is not appealing nor attractive if you think you got it all together. And so I think in the next slide... Is there, is there a next slide? Yes, thank you. If you see yourself like this, and Jesus says to you, come to me, you will go. So it just, just for a moment now, pause and think about the things that weigh you down in life. Think about the things that weigh you down in life. Alright, and, uh, and we'll see that Jesus' Jesus's invitation is for you because He understands the brokenness of our world. I think we've gotten a taste of it in the last year, haven't we? In this nation, and with, just within the realm of politics. How, how our society is so broken, how people personally are broken and messed up, and, and we're just unable, and people are anxious in our society, we're anxious, we're unable to bear with not knowing, with the confusion. And so Jesus' invitation to you and to me and to all really is, look, unburden yourself. Come to me and unburden yourself. 
Come to me and I'll lift the burdens off to you. Come to me to lose your burdens. Why will you keep your burdens? Why will you keep your wearisome life? Come to me. It's so simple. But yet, people don't. Now, as you're thinking about the things that weigh you down, let's ask the question, what kind of things make us weary? What kind of things, you know, load us down? I think we can talk about various things. We can talk, first of all, about life's daily struggles. Okay, you young moms, you have babies, and your babies don't sleep through the night. You know, they they sleep one or two hours and you're up and you don't get any sleep. Are you burdened and struggling? Oh, yes, you are. Caring for little children is a burden. It's a joy, but it's also a challenge for us. You parents of teenagers, if your teenager is rebellious and seeming to stray from the Lord, don't tell me you're not burdened and struggling. You have a marriage, and it's rocky. It's not going so well. You feel that. You're caring for aging parents and loved ones. You know, what about your job? The relentless demands on in your job, a supervisor that is just merciless towards you. What about financial burdens? You know, you know you, it, things are really tight, and your car breaks down. And you feel, you feel the weight of that. Loneliness. You're alone, sickness and health issues. We can go on and on. Life's daily struggles. But we don't have to stop there. We can think about the burden of having failed to be better people. Honestly, you look at your life, I look at my life, I see myself as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, and I see, honestly, in my better moments, I can be a better father, a better husband, and a better pastor. I read the scriptures just like you do, and you go, wow, I need to really improve. You read the commandments of God, you read what God says in His Word, His expectations of you, and you read it and you go, but I fail. I am, I'm a miserable failure. I, I see what the God's Word says, it's up here, and I'm down here. So we fail in these expectations of us. And sometimes, it's even as a result of reading the Bible. Ah. Do you remember, some of you have read uh, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. It's an allegory. And, and, and you remember, you know, it's about this guy, Christian. He's a pilgrim and he leaves the city of destruction and he's en route to uh, the celestial city, to heaven. And early on, he has this conversation with evangelists, I believe, who comes up to him because he's carrying, Christian is carrying this burden and he's crying. And an evangelist asks him the question, where did you get that burden? Where did you get that burden? And Christian says, and he's holding a Bible in his hand, I got it from reading this. I got it from reading the scriptures. You see, if you and I don't carefully and rightly read the scriptures... You look at those commandments, you look at the law, you look at the expectations, and you go, oh my, I am undone. Right? Because we fail to see the rest of what the scriptures point us to. 
We fail to see that what the purpose of the law and the commandments are. We get stuck. We think, oh, here's the law. Here's the expectation. i got to really work hard to meet this. Well, you know you're going to fail. You know you will, but you try it anyways. And Jesus understood that the Jewish leaders of his day, the Pharisees in Matthew 23, they didn't understand the commandments and the laws, right? What did they do? They took them, and Jesus says in Matthew uh, 23, he says about the Pharisees, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. See, they thought the way you get right with God, the way that you find the freedom of salvation is having more burden of the law placed on them. And the Pharisees were all too happy to say, here's what God demands of you. Here's what God demands of you. And if you're not careful, if that's how you read the scriptures and you don't go to Jesus, you will experience depression and failure after failure. If you're honest. But then there's also the failure of unforgiven sin or the burden of unforgiven sin. Perhaps you've sinned and it's one of those secret ones that no one else knows. And you've never confessed it or you have confessed it but it's still at work in you gnawing at your conscience, at your soul like a cancer. You don't sleep. There is no joy and you're depressed. That's a real burden. And then there's the burden of sin that we're unable to conquer. There's sin in your lives. Let's call them vices. Let's call them habits. You've tried to overcome them for years, right? For years, you've struggled with anger with a critical spirit. For years, you've recognized and been told that you're selfish and self-righteous and you tried to change, but you can't change. For years, you've been battling gossip or porn or drunkenness or any other sin. You've been wrestling with this and you have not seen any change. And, and you just feel this weariness over your soul and it gets more complicated because you don't tell anybody and you don't want anybody to know. So you live a life pretending that things are okay. You're you live and you slide into hypocrisy. Oh, you see, there are real burdens. And if we're honest, and if we can evaluate our lives, when we hear the invitation from Jesus, it makes sense. It's good news. Because he says to those who are overwhelmed with life struggles, to those who have failed to keep the law, to those who have been harboring secret sins, to those with unshakable vices and sin patterns, he says, come to me. Come. Come to Jesus. And what he does, he attaches that invitation, he attaches a promise to it. And that is so good. You know, if I were to tell you, come to me and I'm going to give you rest, I hope you laugh. I hope you laugh because I'm not able. But this is what's so gloriously good. Jesus, who makes this invitation to us and promises rest and refreshment, because this is what he's promising, right? Refreshment for your soul, ceasing from your labors, of taking this burden from off of you so it's not so toilsome and wearisome in your life. I can't provide that, but Jesus can. And you see it in the verses right before. And I don't have time to go into this today, but, but man, you can see that he has all authority and power. 
Right? This is what the Father has given to him. That's why he can do this. Now, honestly, when you read this verse, when you read verse 28, most of us filter it through and interpret it through the grid of, yeah, I really am tired. I have been working really long hours, you know, 80, 90 hours a week. I'm exhausted. And, and the way you interpret these words is like this. Jesus comes to you and says, Oh, pobrecito. My dear one, you've really had it rough. You know, it's been a grueling week. Your boss, he's just demanding so much of you. Here, come. Let's go to Cancun together. Let's go, you know, hang out on the beach, have a margarita, you know, read a book, you know, sleep. That's, that's what you think about. I mean, this is, I mean, when I'm tired, I'm thinking vacation, right? You know, when I'm emotionally exhausted, I'm thinking, give me a vacation. That's not, that's good, all right? Don't, I don't want you to hear me saying that's not good. That has its place. But when Jesus talks about rest, he's not talking about Cancun, all right? He's not talking about a vacation. I want you to notice something that is counterintuitive. All right. He connects rest with a yoke. All right. Rest under Jesus' yoke. He's connecting the promise of rest to taking his yoke upon us and learning from him. I just I want you to I want you to hear that. Now What's a yoke? All right, we have another slide. Just in case you don't know what a yoke is. All right, here's that, this wooden harness, this beam that usually goes across, you know, two animals, right? And farmers would use this. Why? Why would they? So that when they're plowing the ground, right, the animals are going in the direction he wants them to go. Right, they're both working together. All right. And so the yoke in some respects symbolizes this weight, right? This, this weight that's on a person or on, on a creature. Right? But it also symbolizes what? Submission. Because these creatures are submitted to the driver. Right? The driver is controlling by means of the yoke right? these animals. So they do what the driver wants, what the farmer wants. Okay? Now you keep that in mind. So... When Jesus says in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, you will find rest for your souls. Our idea, <laughs> our idea of rest is, let me take this yoke that I have. Okay, so you got to imagine, you have this yoke of sin and guilt and shame, this burden on your life, on your soul. And your idea oftentimes, my idea is, let me get it off of me, and then I'm free. I can do what I want. And Jesus says, no. You have your yoke of shame and guilt taken off of you, but there's an exchange. Take it off of you. Now, put on your shoulders my yoke. It's easy. And my burden it's light. And you go, hold on, that doesn't seem very restful. 
You know, because our idea is, I want to be free from everything. But you can never really be free and rest if you're free from God, if you're free from Jesus. And he knows that all too well. So Jesus is not inviting us to lose the burden of our guilt and shame and then live as we please. No. He says, lose the burden of shame and sin and guilt and then submit to me. Come under my yoke. Learn of me. See, what he's doing, he's connecting the true spiritual rest with himself. Rest is inseparably linked to Jesus. That's why he said in the invitation, come to me. He didn't say, come to rest. Come to me. So imagine this. You've loose, you know, you've got rid of that yoke and that sin burden, all right, from off of your soul, and now you're yoked to Jesus. Imagine this. There's a yoke that's tying you to Jesus. You are linked and united to Jesus Christ. Where He goes, you go. How He leads, you follow. Alright? And, and all the weight, and all the weight is on Him. This is our problem. We want to take the weight of the world and place it on us. And Jesus says, no, don't you understand? I've taken the weight of sin. I put it on my shoulders. Now you can be yoked to me. That's why my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this is how we find rest. Because we're yoked, we're united to Him and His love and His accomplishments. And you know what struck me this week as I was thinking about this passage is that when we're so desperate for rest in our lives, you know what we think about? Rest. And if all you think about is rest, you miss it. This is what Jesus is saying. If you're weary and fatigued and burdened and you think about rest, you're not ever going to find it. The way that you find rest is you go to Jesus and He gives you rest. If you focus on rest, you will never, you will remain in your restlessness. If you focus on Jesus and come to Him, you will find rest for your souls. And we spend so much time thinking about vacation and thinking about stopping our labors. There's a right time for that. But how little do we think about finding this rest by coming to Jesus? And sometimes I think we miss it because we lose sight of the backstory. You have to think of what's what's gone on before this invitation. I mean, for Jesus to make an invitation, something has had, happened prior to this. What's happened prior to this? What's the backstory? Well, the backstory is simply this. That the Father who made the world perfect and glorious and harmonious and beautiful, He saw that disfigured when sin came into the world. Right? And, and with sin coming into this world, and there's this rebellion against God and God's will, right? What do we find? We find now that there's alienation between us and God and other people. There's a brokenness in our relationship. There's a restlessness even within our own soul. We, we are not at ease. You see, sin is the backstory. 
Sin is why Jesus has come and why Jesus has to make this invitation. Because any, all our attempts since the fall of Adam and Eve and our fall with them, because of this rebellion, what's been the result of this? It's been a curse. We live in a world that's cursed and we feel it. In our bodies, we die, we get sick, things break, we see it in our world, and what awaits us is judgment. See, Jesus understands this. See, the biggest burden for most of us is understanding that we don't live up to God's standards. And if we're not trusting in Christ, what awaits you and me is a judgment from God. But Jesus knows that. I mean, that's the backstory. And see, he understands that in order for him to, to provide rest, he's got to deal with a backstory. He's got to deal with this, all the stuff that's come before, all the sin that's come in the world, and the curse, and the judgment. All right? So he gives his rest. The rest that he promises is rest from divine judgment. Now, I want you... I want you to see something that's fascinating. Maybe you've, maybe you've seen this. You're biblical scholars, I know. But if, if you've ever read in, in Genesis chapter 5, there in chapter 5, verse 29, there's a list of different people, and one of the persons that mentioned is Noah. And it says this in verse 29 of chapter 5, that Lamech, Noah's father, called his name Noah, saying, This one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands, arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. This one will give us rest. Do you understand that Noah means rest? His name in Hebrew sounds like the word, the Hebrew word for rest. And here we have this foreshadowing. Thousands of years before Jesus comes and gives this invitation, God is already saying to us, there's a rest that's coming. And it's coming in one who's like Noah. The true Noah. But you remember Noah's story, right? We all know that one. Alright, so here's the judgment of God that's going to come because of the curse of sin. And how, when that judgment comes, what happened to Noah and his family? Well, they escaped that judgment because they were in the ark and they found rest in the ark. And so here's a picture for us that those who come to Jesus, who are in Jesus Christ, they find rest because here's the true Noah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who takes the judgment upon himself at the cross of Calvary. And that's why he can issue this invitation and really give rest to us who are wearied by sin. You see, remember when Jesus, the night before he's crucified, he goes in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying. And what do the evangelists tell us, the gospel writers? That he was agitated in his soul and he was troubled. He was restless. Do you see, Jesus, the one who knew rest and peace and eternal glorious tranquility, because he always obeyed, there was no sin in his life, he had no reason at all to be restless and to be burdened, but yet he goes into the garden and he becomes restless because he knows that on the following day he will take upon himself, on his own soul and life, our sin. 
So he is willing to become restless and to be burdened so that we might know rest. Do you see? He lived his perfect life. He met all the expectations that God requires of you. Your struggle, if you believe in Jesus, that he lived the perfect life in your place. Now you become the perfect husband in Christ, the perfect wife in Christ, the perfect son or daughter, the perfect worker in Christ, because his righteousness has been given to you. That's why he can say, you have rest now, because you can finally stop struggling to find this righteousness apart from Christ. No, you have it in Christ. Come to me. Come to me. Receive my righteousness. But also all our unrighteousness, all our failure, all our sin, he took at the cross and he was treated as the guilty one as he bore our sin at the cross. Jesus has done all that's required by the law. All of it. Every expectation, every command he has fulfilled for you and for me who go to him in faith. Let me ask you this morning. Have you come to Jesus? Have you gone to Him for this rest? If you need one other reason to go to Him, let me give it to you, this final incentive. Verse 29, He says this. He gives a reason. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. I am gentle and lowly in heart. Other translations, I'm gentle and humble. So Jesus is saying, look, come to me because I'm mild in disposition. I'm humble in my attitude. Now let me ask you, is that attractive? Isn't this interesting that most of us, when we're going to describe Jesus, we probably, you know, you might describe him as humble, but most of us don't. Because in our society, humility, right, and being lowly in heart... And being meek is not one of those things you go, you know, I really admire that person. I really admire Ben. He's so humble. (laughs) Most of us don't don't look at that as as this wonderful quality. So why is it? And it's very interesting because I don't think there are many other qualities that Jesus points to about himself. But these two he points to. Why? Let Let me see if we can get to it this way. Let me ask you this question. Would you be willing to go to anybody... Would you be willing to go to anybody and disclose and reveal your sins, your shameful acts, and your guilty deeds? Would you be willing to go to anybody and share that with them? No. Most likely, you wouldn't. Why not? Because, and, and even then, you're, even with some friends, you are careful. Why not? Because you and I normally think that if you disclose the horrible things that you have thought and done, if people really knew the wickedness of your heart, what would you expect? You would expect that they would criticize you, don't you? You would expect that they would say something pretty harsh to you. How many of you have dogs? You have dogs, okay? I'm going to tell you a story about a dog. Don't ever do what I'm going to tell you to do, what I did. When I was, uh, I don't know, 14, 15... Uh, as a family, we had a dog. It's half German Shepherd, half Doberman. Some other mix. So, not, not a cuddly puppy. 
and anyways, he had this habit. He was in the house a lot, but he had this habit of running away. And whenever he ran away, my mom would say, hey, go find him. And so we'd have to go find him because she, she would not let us rest. And one, on one occasion, he took off, and I spent several hours looking for the dog, found him, brought him back to the house. He was about 10 feet from the door. I was angry. I was angry because he wasted my time, right? He wasted my time. You know, as a 14, 15-year-old, my time is precious. You know, I have a lot of things to do. And uh, as he's walking to the house, I kicked him in the rear. He didn't take too kindly to that. And I have the scars to prove it. What you and I sometimes anticipate people doing, if we were to disclose the fact that we're sinners and we're weighed down by our guilt and shame, you really expect the person to kick you, to chide you, to rebuke you, to scold you out of their self-righteousness. That is a big problem. And Jesus says, I am not like that. I am not like that. I want you to come to me. Because when you come to me, I know your burden. I know your sin. I know your guilt. Even before you admit it, I know it all. I took it upon myself at the cross. I am not going to chide you. I am humble. Do you see the invitation is glorious? It's good. And it's good and it's glorious because of our Savior, because of who Jesus is and what He has accomplished and what He offers. You can take the worst of your sins, the ugliest of your sins, to Jesus, and He won't beat you down. He really won't. Because he was beat down already at the cross for you. A bruised reed, he will not break. A smoldering wick, he will not quench. Come to Jesus. Come. Let's pray. Lord, it's our desire to hear you say these words to our soul. And perhaps there are some here who have never gone to you. We pray that you would open their ears and that they would go to you and find rest for their souls. And there are some of us, Lord, who we have come. But Lord, we've wanted to live life independently of you. We've wanted to untie ourselves from this being yoked to you. We don't want to learn from you. And Lord, we're so weary And we're burdened even though we love you. Our love is imperfect. And so we ask that you would issue that invitation to us again. And that we would be bound to you. And being yoked to you, help us to know the freedom and the rest that you give in Jesus. Amen.